Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, welcome to our relationship series. In this series, we're going to talk about different parts of relationships. One part will be marriage. In two weeks, I'm going to do uh, how to stay married for a lifetime. Now, I've only been married for 41 years, and there's always the option that she could leave. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Well, one of the greatest paradoxes of life is relationships. It really is. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because relationships are our greatest source of pleasure, and sometimes they're our greatest source of pain. Let me explain what I'm talking about. It can be painful to not be married. How many of you remember when you were single? Does anybody remember when you were... Okay, I, I rem- my greatest fear, because I was living sexually pure, is that Jesus was going to come before my honeymoon. Literally, I mean, I mean, up until the day that we walked down the aisle, I thought, I'm going to be in bed. It's going to be the night before my honeymoon. Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. The trumpet is going to sound. I don't have a honeymoon. I went to heaven, but like, not really. I was, I'm not joking. That was my greatest fear. That was my greatest fear. Okay, it can be painful to not be married. It can also be very painful to... Hopefully your husband didn't say that. It it can be painful not to have children. I've prayed with so many people, Michelle and I are pastors over the years, who wanted to have children that couldn't. It also can be very painful to have children, especially teenagers. It can be painful to not have close relationships. But also, it can be very painful to have close relationship. You've often heard me say, God created us for relationships. And because we were created for relationship, the quality of our life is usually determined by the quality of our relationships. My friend Chris Hodges asked me a great question every time that I see him and talk to him. He says this, how's everything that really matters doing, Jacob? I mean, there's all kinds of things going on in the world. There's all kinds of things going on in people's lives. But how many of you know if things are good with you, if things are good at home, or if things are good with your children, things are good? So how do we have quality relationships with our mate, our family, and our friends? That's a great question, but first let me ask you the most obvious question. What if I go into a relationship with people that that I want to love me and care for me, that I want to be close to, be vulnerable with? And what if they hurt me? What if they disappoint me? What if they end up betraying me? What if they betray a confidence or or I share with them something that, that difficult that I've gone through and I share with them hoping that they won't tell anybody else and I get exposed? What if I open up to someone, real intimacy, into me see, I really let them see who I am and then they hurt me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anyone here ever been hurt before? Okay. So this morning, I want to make you a promise. Matter of fact, I want to hold my Bible to make you a promise. Look right here. I promise you, everyone you know is going to hurt you. Do do, do you know why? You say, Pastor, why, why, why do you do that? Because... I've hurt people not intending to. Have any of you ever done that? As a matter of fact, people are going to hurt you, offend you, disappoint you. All people are going to hurt you. All people are going to hurt you. You just have to decide who's worth hurting for. Who's worth hurting for? How many of you have ever hurt someone and you didn't mean to? Okay. Can can I share with you a personal example? about me and my beautiful princess seated on the front row. You've heard me say that one of my life principles is this, and men, listen, this will help you. 
After pleasing God, the greatest desire of my life is to please Michelle. Let me say that again. After pleasing God, the greatest desire of my life is to please Michelle. Men, say it with me real close. After pleasing, the greatest desire of my life is to please my, is to please my wife. It's to please my wife. And if it's not, then it's to please you. But it's to please my wife. So, so I, I do things like she does for me. But when, when, but when we got married, literally Michelle would get up in the morning, she would put on all of her makeup before I would even see her because I told her I never wanted to see her without makeup. Bad pastor, bad pastor. <laughs> she would, didn't you? Okay. And then she would get up in the morning, she would lay out my clothes and she would put toothpaste on my toothbrush. This is a true story. It wasn't a list or rules. It was what she wanted to do. We were actually staying with a pastor in Brownsville, Texas. And when he found that out, we were staying at his house. He got so mad. Do you know what he did? How many of you remember Brute Cologne? Anybody remember Brute? Okay. He got so mad that he took Brute Cologne and before I got up, Michelle had got up and put toothpaste on my tooth. She, he put brute cologne all over my toothbrush. <laughs> so we were at breakfast that morning. I'm like, pff, pff, pff. And he was just laughing his head off because it made him so mad. No, 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 nobody made her do that. We just wanted to please one another. Okay? So um, 15 years ago, Michelle had... Uh, a brain tumor and thyroid uh, cancer. And so we went to MD Anderson and they removed her, her thyroid and they found out that the, the brain tumor that she had was non-growing. And so we went two or three, four years, three or four years in a row. And after they found it wasn't growing, then, then, then they cleared her. And, but, but, but when they removed her thyroid, she had to take Anybody, anybody had that happen? You take thyroid medication. Okay, so, so at night, she gets up in the middle of the night when she goes to the bathroom and she can't take her thyroid medication within four hours of eating. So she has a bottle of water and she has this kind of bottle, big bottle like this. It's not a medicine bottle. We get it now in the mail and it's like one of those kid-proof. Do you know what I'm talking about? You got to push down and open it up. So I get up in the middle of the night and I see this is there. And I'm thinking, I don't want her to have to push. I mean, half asleep, push that thing down. So I start when I get up, if I get up before, I start opening it up so she doesn't have to open it. Isn't it? Am I not wonderful? <laughs> Man, am I not wonderful? Carolyn, am I wonderful? I'm wonderful. Okay, come on. Talinda, I need some love. Okay, well, Jana, am I wonderful? Okay, so literally this goes on. Now, I literally, I didn't tell her that. I just, I mean, I just wanted to do that. So about three months later into this, she walks in, we're having coffee. That's another routine that I take care of in the morning before we have coffee and she, she goes, are you opening up my medicine? And I'm like, yes. She goes, why are you doing that? I said, well, I didn't want you in the middle of the night. That thing's hard to open up, and I want you to have to open it up. So I just opened it up, and I even take your bottle, water, if it's not open, and I open that just so it's easy for you to open. She goes, do you realize that when you do that, I think I've already gotten up and taken my medicine. And if I don't take my medicine, it throws my whole system off. And you've been doing this and I get up and think I've already taken the medicine. I didn't take my medicine and I'm not feeling good because of the medicine. Now, in my heart of hearts, all I was trying to do was. So, you know what I said? 
What's the last thing I'll ever do for you? I get up in the middle of the night when I'm half asleep, just going to the bathroom. I could do that for you. Let me tell you something. Most men wouldn't even think about doing that. Not only do I do that, open up your water, and I push that thing down and open it up, and I do all that just to be a blessing to you, and this is what I get back in return? Huh? Are you out of your mind? I've been married 41 years. I went, okay, baby. And I said all those other things to myself. <laughs> I went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, said all those things, and it came, flushed the commode, and then it came out. I got it out. I got it out. Well, why is this so important for you to know? Because we live in a broken world with imperfect, broken people. And if the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships, the only people there are to have relationships with are broken people, just like you. We're all broken. And on our best day trying to please people we love, we can offend them and disappoint them and discourage them. So here's the question. How do I live with broken people when being offended and disappointed is inevitable? Thankfully, the God who made us knew that we were broken and knew that we were going to need help. He knew that you and I were made for relationship both with him as well as with other people. And he wanted to teach us how to resolve conflict, how to resolve offense, how to deal with disappointment. So I could think of another way to say it. The quality of your life is determined by how you resolve conflict. How do you resolve conflict? Now, just in general, and this is kind of just generalization, there's two types of people here. There's some of you that are stuffers. Say that with me, stuffers. That means that when someone does something that offends you, you just kind of like, like a little balloon, you just kind of go. And then do something else and you go. And they do something else and you go. And they do something else and you just. And then they do something else and you go. And then one day, like a helium balloon, it was one too many. And what happens? It blows up. Why do you do that? Everything, everything I try to do for you, you don't appreciate one thing. You're the most unthankful and grateful person that I know. Let me tell you something. My dad was like you. You're just like your daddy. You know, your dad was a mess. Your mother was a mess. He was like, your mother put up with stuff I'm never going to put up with. You think I'm going to put up with that? No, because your grandfather and your father are like that, and, and all the LeBlancs are like that. I'm not going to be like all the LeBlancs are. And it all comes out, and the person who's there watching going, Because then there's the other people here that are the processors. The processors. You know the process. Baby, yes. Why did you look at me that way when we were having coffee? Like what way? You know what way. No, that's why I'm asking you what way. No, it, it, no, you know what way. Because whenever you give me that look, you always give me that look. And I know what that look means. Which look? You know which look. And you want to sit down and you just want to talk through it. Let's just talk through it. Let's just, let's just choo-choo. Let's just pull it up. And let's talk about how your grandfather was that way. And how, you, you know, now our children, our boys are just like you. And you know what? You always said you weren't going to be that way. But now they are. And now look exactly what you've become. That's a generalization. But it's true. So. Let's see what Jesus said about how to resolve conflict because it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Listen carefully to me. Everyone here, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. I've had the privilege of being many people with many people right before they passed. None of them said, where's my accountant? None of them said, how's the camp on the river? None of them said, how's my condo in Destin? None of them said, how much are my children? None of them. All of them said, where's my kids? Where's my mate? Where's my mama? Where's my daddy? Where's my brother? Where's my sister? Where's my best friend? It was all relationships. 
So if relationships are the most important thing in your life and the quality of your life is determined by it, then you need to learn how to resolve conflict God's way because it's inevitable with broken people. Now, when you meet someone, here's what you don't know. Your dad left your mom when you were nine. And a part of your heart closed and you said, somebody hurt me. I'll never trust an adult that that says they'll never leave me. Then you had the school and there was a a teacher that hurt you. And then another layer went on top of that. And then you got into high school and somebody who promised that they were your first love and they'd never leave you or forsake you left you and forsook you and went to TikTok and told everybody about you. Okay, and that was another layer. And now you're in college and you're at Tiger Town or the Strip. Aren't you grateful that they didn't have social media when you were back at Tiger Town at the Strip? Oh, we remember you. Okay. Look at me. And, and you know what? It's another layer. And now you walk up and meet somebody and go, hey, how are you? Good to meet you. And there's so many layers in their heart of protection because of betrayals and disappointment and offense that have been unresolved. They keep wondering why they don't have close relationships when in reality, there's nothing to bond to because there's nothing open about them. We've all met people like they shake your hand and go, hi, how are you? Good to meet you. Yeah, sure. Great. Great to have you. Yeah, you're a nice guy. Stay right there and don't move. Real intimacy is into me, see. It's real. That's what relationship is about. So how do we resolve conflict? Jesus is going to tell his disciples how to do it. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 17. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now remember, they were with each other 24-7 for three years. All kinds of conflict and inner dynamics are going on. He said to his disciples, it is, it's what? This is the same Jesus that said, if you have faith, all things are. There's twice he said, it's impossible. This is one time. It is impossible that no offenses should come. No offenses should come, but woe to the person to whom they come. For it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, than he should offend one of these little ones. Now, millstone was a huge stone that a, a mule or an ox would pull to grind. So get that picture in your mind. A several hundred pound millstone tied around someone's neck and they're thrown into the ocean. So, in light of this, read these words with me take heed to yourself. Now, the word offense is sometimes translated stumbling stone. So, imagine that you're just standing here in a relationship and all of a sudden a bowling ball is rolled at you to knock you down. That would be an offense. So Jesus says, let me tell you something about people. People are people. And everybody's going to hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. So watch out. That's going to come at some time or another. It's going to come. And then he says how to deal with it. If your brother sins against you, I like that. I'm feeling good about that. If he, like I'm good with that. Like, you know, Pastor, I was talking about you behind your back. I said that you really weren't as good as you say you are all the time. And so it's like, okay, I understand that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I forgive you. Okay, I'm good. Here's the part I got a problem with. And if he sins against you seven times in a, and seven times in a returns and says, okay, that, I got issues with that one. No, 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 no. Hey, the first time I forgive you, the second time, maybe you didn't realize what happened. The third time in Jewish law, you were required to forgive two times and three times in extreme cases. So Jesus is giving this number of seven and then he adds it to seven times 
in a day. And if they ask for you to forgive them and repent, you shall. Now here's the apostles' first words to this revelation, to this act of obedience of how to reconcile relationships in conflict and offense. What do they say? What? They, 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 they said, you want us to what? Seven times a day? Jesus, come on. Well, hey, you got increase our faith. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have the faith of a, let me show you a mustard seed. That's a mustard seed. That's a mustard seed. Why is this so significant? Because sometimes when we look at obeying God, you go, Pastor, there is very little in me that wants to let go of somebody that did. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. And the Bible says God gives you the gift of faith. So the faith you have, that little tiny seed, he gave it to you. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the, and be planted in the sea, and it would what? Let me show you a mulberry tree. Look at the roots in that thing. The roots seem almost as deep as the tree is high. Jesus is contrasting the mustard seed and the mulberry tree. Why is he telling you that? Because if you hold on to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, offenses become bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness, and it grows roots, and it grows deep, and it will begin literally to erode the foundation of your life. And everything might look great on the surface, but beneath there, there is a poison inside of you to everyone who gets close to you. I thought you should have clapped right there. That was relatively good. What is Jesus teaching his disciples in us about how to live with broken people? Here's what I believe that he's teaching us. Number one, it's impossible to do life and not be offended. Often. Not just offended, often. The implication seven times a day. These offenses are traps. They're stones that that the enemy rolls at us to try to take us out. They happen in our professions. They happen personally in relationships. Unforgiveness has strong roots like the mulberry tree. Unresolved offenses lead to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness goes to resentment. And resentment goes to bitterness. Here's the second thing Jesus is teaching us. Forgiveness is not rooted in your faith in people. It's rooted in your faith in God. It's not rooted in in your faith in people. They didn't say, Lord, increase our forgiveness. What did they say? In order for me to release people that have done something to you, I got to trust that you're watching out for me and you're going to take care of me regardless of what I do in releasing them. That's the faith. That's the faith. So how can I ever trust people again? Here's the real question. Do I trust God to protect my heart? And that if I love someone and they hurt me again, that the God that loves me can heal my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is not rooted in your faith in people. It's rooted in your faith in God. Luke chapter 17, 4 and 5, the amplified version, the study version of the Bible says this. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive him. That is, give up resentment and consider the offense recalled and And then the apostle said, increase our faith, our ability to trust in and his, he said, not, not our ability to trust in people, our ability to trust you that you're watching out for me, that that you truly are going to take care of me. It takes faith in God to forgive others. That's why the disciples said, increase our faith. It must, I must trust the justice of God. Now, just stop here a moment and get real. How many of you here have had people intentionally do something to really hurt you? Raise your hand. That often is the biggest challenge 
because you think if I release them, they're going to hurt me or somebody else again. How many daddies do we have here? Raise your hand. How many of you protected over your kids? Raise your hand. How many are real protective over your grandchildren? They can kill your kids. You're just the grandkids. They got to leave alone. <laughs> All right, watch this. You, you, you know, look, look at me. If you're protective over your children and grandchildren, how much more do you think your heavenly father is protective over you and me? And I'm going to share something with you. If you want to see God move in someone that's really harmed you or hurt you, look at me. God can't do it till you release them. Because if he does it, you know what you're going to say? See? Mess with God's favorite child. I'll tell you what will happen to you every time. Another one bite the dust. Ha, ha. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's how you feel. You, you want to see vindication. God can't deal with them until he can first deal with you. So when you release them, then God can deal with them. And when he does, there will not be animosity and resentment. There will actually be compassion. 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 It takes faith. I must trust the justice of my heavenly father. You say, Pastor, I mean, what they've done to me and other people, I don't know if I have that. Put the mustard seed up. All you need is that much. That's all you need. Just take a little step, just a small one, and watch what God does with the rest. Watch what he does with the rest. Number three, he's teaching us that forgiveness is not an option for the child of God. It's obedience. Forgiveness is not an option. It's obedience. You're not a hero if you forgive. You're a Christian. I'm going to say that again. You're not a hero if you forgive. You're a Christian. Corey Tin Boom, she and her family, you've heard me say, hid Jews during the Nazi occupation, and ultimately they were discovered. Her sister was killed, raped and killed by a prison guard that she watched. After America came, freed in the war, she went to the very prison to see the man who raped and killed her sister. You know what she said? She said, I went to him and I told him that because of Jesus and the gift of forgiveness that he'd given me, that I forgave him. And she led him to Christ. And you know what she said? I try not to hold on to anything too tightly because when I do, it hurts too much when my father has to pull it out of my hand. Forgiveness is not an option. It's obedience. We are commanded to forgive by the one who paid for all forgiveness. He's not asking you to give something he didn't give you. He didn't ask you to give something that he doesn't have more of. Number four, only the forgiven can truly forgive. Only the forgiven can truly forgive. Everything that man has is limited. Our time is limited. Our years, our strength, our thoughts, our resources. But gods are not limited. They are unlimited. They're unlimited. We receive unlimited forgiveness. How many of you have ever asked God to forgive you seven times a day? How about seven times an hour? Okay. Therefore, as Christians, we're the only ones that can give it in an unlimited way. He said seven times a day. Another time, another time Jesus said, if you're talking to Peter about forgiveness, he said, not seven times, but say it loud. Seventy times seven. Come on, graduates of Dusa High School. How many is that? What is that? Come on, a graduate of Ascension. 490. 490. Do you know what Jesus is really saying? Look right here. Look right here at me. You got to get this. Here's what he's saying. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. If you're counting. That's the second time you're counting. And can I tell you this? Look at me. You and I 
we could lose count. But there is a God in heaven who knows and could keep every number. He knows the number of hair on our head. Our days are numbered by him. He does know the number. But he puts your sin into a sea of forgetfulness and he says it will never be remembered again. And I have a good feeling and thought that he wants you to put their sin the same place he put yours. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. Number five, when I obey God and forgive others, I not only release my faith, I release myself. I release myself. God would never command us to do something that he would not give us the power to do. Listen, it's not how much forgiveness do they deserve. It's how much freedom do you want to walk in? How much freedom do you want to walk in? Number six, it's not my love for others that empowers me to forgive them. It's my love for God. It's my love for God. I'm going to stop a moment. Because right now the Holy Spirit's bringing people to your name, to, to their names to you. Their face looks like America's most wanted popping up in front of you. Right now. Right now. You know what that tells you? That you're still holding on. You still won't let go. You still won't let go. And here's the crazy part. When I don't forgive people that would hurt me and have hurt me, I end up hurting the people that do love me, that don't want to hurt me. I do. I do. Only the forgiven can truly forgive. If you're counting, you're not forgiving. God gave forgiveness to me so he can give forgiveness through me. Number six, it's not my love for others that empowers me to forgive them. It's my love for God. When I can't forgive others, it's not because I can't forget what they did to me. It's that I've forgotten what I've done to God and others. What I've done to God and others. Love remembers but still forgives. I've lived with people that have walked through infidelity in their relationships. It's not that they don't forget it. They don't remember it. It's that they choose to forgive it. I've seen walk with parents whose their children have done horrible things to them. It's not that their parents couldn't remember it. It's that they choose a greater principle. And that is, though they do remember it, they still forgive it. Jesus didn't die to forgive me because he felt like it. He died for me because he loved his father. And that's why I forgive. How, how do I forgive, Pastor? How, how, how do I? Well, what steps do I take? Here's the personal steps first. Personal. Number one, remember who you need to forgive. Those people have been popping up in front of you on a screen like America's most wanted. The whole message. If you had your phone on last night, when the weather got bad, it starts going, eh, 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 eh. those people have been doing that in front of you the whole time I've been preaching this message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring those people to your remembrance. You need to remember who you need to forgive. Secondly, you need to repent. Well, what does that mean? The Greek word is metanoia. It means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of direction and a change of heart. It means I'm going this way, going, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm not going to let them do that. I'm not. And then I turn and take a step of faith, even a mustard seed. God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to obey you. 
Remember. Repent. Here's the third one. Release. Choose to let go. Choose to let go. You don't feel like getting go, letting go. You choose as an act of obedience to let it go. Number four, begin to renew our minds. Every time that comes up, I, I, Lord, I've repented for holding on to that. I remember who they are, but I release them. Confess that you release them. Do you know what the Bible tells us to do for our enemies? If someone, when you think enemy, if someone pops into your mind, Jesus tells us to do two things for them. Pray for them and bless them. Because when you pray for them and bless them, then you posture yourself at a place where God can deal with them and not have to come back and deal with you because of your attitude. Okay, that's, that's, that's what between me and God. But pastor, what, what if I need to go and I need to talk to someone? Corey, come on up here. I love Corey, and if he didn't go to the University of Alabama, he would, people confuse me and him. They look at us from the backside and think, that reminds me of Pastor Jacob. How, how many of you need to ask God to forgive you on a regular basis? Okay. So as Christians, we should be professional repenters, Right? I'm going to show you right now what to do. Most people don't even know how to repent to someone. So here's the backdrop. Number one, I take a posture of humility. Okay, I know you're mad. All right. All right. You want to hear me say it? Sorry. All right. Good. Is that a posture of humility? No. They don't want reconciliation. They want to get out of the doghouse. Who let the dogs out? Nobody's letting that dog out. Okay. First is a posture of humility. Let me tell you, there's three T's that go with that. Touch, tone, and timing. Touch, tone, and timing. Touch and and timing. It says, hey, I reach out and I touch him. I, I look in him, look him in the eye. I look him in the eye. I, I want to apologize for hurting you. I don't rationalize. I own it. I don't rationalize. I Stephen Covey says, rational lies are that, rational lies. Yeah, but the reason that I did that is, you know, I mean, I didn't eat in a while, and I was kind of hangry, and, you know, me and, me and Elizabeth have not been doing good, and so, I mean, I didn't really mean that. Okay, that might be 25% true, but a 25% truth is a lie. I need to own it. I'm sorry, I did something that hurt you. Would you please forgive me? I am truly sorry. I'm truly sorry. And by the grace of God, that will never happen again. I forgive you. Do you know that when you do that humbly, 90% of the time, the first time we did this in the first service, he said that, I forgive you. And he goes, I'm sorry, Pastor, was I supposed to say that or not? Well, I found out that he was offended with me because, as I said, people confuse us for being the same person. And, you know, his wife, actually, he, I found out in the first service, is half Mexican. And she's offended that I did not invite her to my Cinco de Mayo celebration with all the Mexicans in our church, me and three of my children. Joseph identifies as white. I've told you that story. Okay. So I come with humility. I look him in the eye. I own it. I own it. I tell them that I'm truly sorry. I tell them that by the grace of God, it won't happen again. And I thank him for his forgiveness. Look at me, man. 
if you can master this art, if you can master this art, I'm truly sorry. Thank you. You can go right now, Corey. Give Cora a big hand. Watch right here. Isn't it crazy that we live in a broken world with broken people and it's difficult for us to apologize when we have to do that every day between us and God multiple times a day? Can, can I close with a personal story? Okay. I'm asking for permission. You know I'm going to do it anyways. I was just kind of trying to make you feel good about yourself. 2007, we were building this building. We were meeting across the street at the Capitorium at Westminster. We didn't know what was coming in 2008. We just knew that in 2007 that our church had a dream of expanding to Lafayette from from Broussard. And so we, we would have services over here. And so one of the generous men in our community said that if we would raise a million dollars for three years in a row, he would give us a million dollars. And then 30 families in our church said they would give $30,000 a year for three years above their normal tithes so that we could do this. So with those commitments, we began. Our church had saved up a million and a half dollars. We had 1,500 people in Broussard. And, and so we, we secured a contractor and signed all the contracts and went to Mr. Beasley, who's designed all of our buildings, who's in the church, and, and off we went. We gave them our million and a half dollars, and in November 1st, the bank, not a local bank, was going to fund the loan. They specialized in loaning to churches, so... On November 1st, I got a phone call and they said, listen, pastor, they said, uh, there's some more of the things that we got to do and you, we're not going to be able to fund the, the loan this month. Maybe we'll be able to do it by Thanksgiving. And then right before Thanksgiving, they called me and they said, pastor, so there's some things going on. We're not going to be able to do it until the beginning of December. And then the beginning of December came and they said, pastor, we're not going to be able to do it until the beginning of January. It's now been 60 days and the contractor has subs that are make, doing the brick and the plaster and, and they're not getting paid, so they stop working. So there's half a crew that's working, hoping that we will somehow be able to pay them. So the beginning of January, the second week, we get a call from the bank. I'm excited. I'm thinking they're ready. And they said, Pastor, uh, we're not going to be able to do the loan. I said, well, wait a minute, we have a contract. Like, like y'all are supposed to do this. We've done our part. And they said, well, we're not going to be able to. We didn't know the banking crisis was coming and that the bank was in trouble. So they said, there's one way we can continue. I said, how? They said, you, you, you got to maybe find another bank. I'm like, wait a minute. So then we end up finding a bank, and here's what that bank says. We'll take the loan, but you got to give us a million dollars in the next two weeks cash. I said, well, we gave you all of our money. Listen, we had a contract with the bank. This is all legal. This, is, this isn't right, what y'all are doing. Every day I drive by, half the crew's here. Other people are saying, when are we going to get paid? I literally felt like the entire weight of what is now this building sat on my chest. I couldn't sleep for weeks. I was like just overwhelmed. I, we did everything that we were supposed to do. During that time, the bank came and said, hey, we'll help bridge the loan. We want to meet with you. So we get folks and we go and we meet at the bank and the man who is representing the bank starts screaming at me. He says, why do you want to ruin your church? Why do you want to get them to overcommit and lead them into ruin? And then he began to swear at me. 
Now, I'm a man of God. But I am a man. And I was just like, like, it was just like shocked, like numb. I go walking out. And one of the executives from that bank whispered in my ear and said, Pastor, you need to kick his. And I said, is this the Lord? And then I thought, probably not. For two days, I was like tormented. I'm like, this guy. I mean, nothing we did. We did everything on our part we should do. This, this shouldn't be happening. It should not be happening. And I, all I could think about is this guy looking at me, cussing at me, telling me I was leading our church to ruin. So after two days, I called him. And I said, would you meet me at the church? He said, no. I said, well, would you meet me at another place? And he said, yes. So he came to meet me, and he walked up the stairs, the place where I was, the little office we had. And he walked in, and he sat down. I pulled up a chair across from him, and I got down on my knees. And I said, sir, I, I don't know what I've done to you. I don't know how I've offended you. But, but would you please forgive me whatever I've done to you? Because I don't think I did anything for you to swear at me. And I prayed for, over his feet, held his feet and prayed over his feet. Got up, shook his hand, he walked out the door and I've never heard from that man again. He's no longer in our community. But can I tell you this? When I got up from my knees, guess who was free? Me. Me. I was free. This is not about other people. This is about you. You know why I shared that story with you? Because there's some that I failed, but this is one that I passed. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that right now you're bringing people before us. Before us. The same cross where we took all of our sin and laid it down and trusted you would never bring it up again, that you would never count it again. We take their sin there. We wanted to count when we didn't want you to count against us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you just to open your hands, palms wide open on your lap. And then I want you to close your fist. Let make it like a fist. And if there's people and I know everyone here has some that you need to release. We're going to do that. Under your breath, quietly, I want you to say this. Dear Lord Jesus, I repent. Forgive me. I've asked you to throw my sin into the sea of forgetfulness to never be remembered again. But I've counted and held against others who've sinned against me. Forgive me. Now I want you to pray out loud with me. I want everyone here to pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, right now, Now I want you to picture the person that God's brought to your mind that you need to let go. And then I want you to say this to me after you open your hands. I release them. Open your hands. I release them. Just as you've released me. Come on, say that. Just as you've released me. 
I release them. Now, Holy Spirit, come and do the surgery that only you can do. Only you can do that surgery now. Come. Come right now and do what only you can do. For some of you that are here, God's putting it on your heart to go see a person, to write a letter or a note to a person, to call a person. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. He knows what you need to do. Whatever he's telling you right now, that's what you need to do. And now with your heads still bowed and eyes still closed, last two minutes, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I know this message was for me, but I've heard you talk about being born again, and you said unless we were born again, we couldn't see the kingdom of heaven. We couldn't know God. We couldn't enter into it. Pastor, I've never been born again. Every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. And it's only when you become spiritually alive by being born again that you can actually have a relationship with God. Jesus came because he loves you to bridge the gap between you and God. And today, he wants to know you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's been drawing you. And today, he wants to reveal himself to you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I may have been christened, baptized, and joined the church, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to be born again today. I want to know God. I've never prayed to be born again. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right at your seat. We're going to close. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. Everything that happened this week wasn't an accident. It was God speaking to you and drawing you. And now's your time to come to him and surrender to him. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? Seven? Anywhere else? Eight? Okay, nine, 10, 11, 12. All right, you can put your hands down. Church, let's pray out loud with all those who raised their hand. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my father. Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.